0: We'll begin in Luke 6, uh, verse 43 then. For there is no, and we'll probably end up doing a little bit of scripture, and then this, we'll probably breeze through this, um, this worksheet I have here. Have you ever heard of Lordship Salvation? It's actually an issue that MacArthur is is one of the primary people who produced this, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but it deals with the text we have. So we're in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good the evil man uh, out of the evil treasure which brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. All right, so this um, teaching, do you understand what he's saying there? What he's talking about where a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and we are to judge. You judge a Christian profession by their fruit. That is to say, your fruit, and we talked about this many times, works do not save you. It's just the opposite. You, you confess your sinfulness, you come to the point where you realize you have no works, and that all you've done is rebel, and you're in trouble, and so it's a humble attitude, but then once you become saved, then you bear fruit. Works come on that backside of salvation, And the, but the, here's the thing, they come every single time, and so you see here, this is a good example, that a, tr- a good tree would be a Christian. A bad tree would be a non-Christian. Somebody who's a believer, somebody who's a non-believer. And a good tree, someone who's saved, okay, and we got to be careful here, cannot bear bad fruit. Okay, now, again, that doesn't mean perfect fruit. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle we waver, but it's not gonna be, it's going to be. You're going to have some fruit. Some people have more fruit than others, by God's grace. But every single person that God regenerates and and saves and dwells there, you know, you got to understand that any believer, including us, is indwelled by the Spirit of God. That will impact your life necessarily. And so there is what He is—the one who causes the good fruit to come out of you. And the good fruit are, you know, obedience to His commandments and doing kind and generous things, loving other people selflessly, loving God. Of course, is the top thing. And so you're going to bear fruit. And He's saying that a a good tree of Christian cannot bear bad fruit, and it's a consistency there. It's if uh, and, and so if somebody says, "I have," you know. This is what James deals with in James two. If someone says, "I have faith, but he has no works," can that kind of faith save him? The answer is no. And it's not the fact. Do you, you understand the difference? So I'm not saying you have to work plus faith to equal salvation, but it's but it's saying clearly that saving faith will always produce works. And so a faith that does not produce works is not saving faith, it's not true faith. It's a profession and not a possession. A lot of people profess to be a Christian. And I think the easiest way to dig into whether their profession is genuine is not necessarily, because obviously most people you don't know that you're talking to, a new person you talk to and you're asking about his religious views and he thinks he's a Christian. You don't know enough about the person to know what kind of life they live. And so the easiest way to do that is to address why do they think they're right with God? And that, that will expose their their that that fruit right there is the key fruit as to whether they're trusting in their own works or whether they're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And you can also ask them what what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Who do you who do you think he is? And, and I've learned if you really want to know the spiritual condition of somebody, you let them talk. I used to lead people along more. I used to say, So you're so what you're saying is you believe that Jesus is God and you're trusting all in his work. And they would all kind of, you know, like, oh, yeah, that you know, you kind of see the, you know, just, yeah, that sounds good to me kind of thing. And so now I'll say, who do you, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Or who do you think he is? Do you, think, you know, if anything, I'll go the other way. I'll say, do you really think that this man, Jesus Christ, is actually the one true God? Where I'll actually press and, lean, and push him the other way. Because a true Christian will say, oh, yeah, Absolutely. Of somebody who has a false profession, they'll say, well, maybe, maybe, and you know, you kind of start, they'll start wobbling a little bit, and you're not doing that to, to try and do anything other than to properly assess the tree, which is what we're talking about here, and getting into the lordship salvation will deal with that issue, and so, and, and on the other hand, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, so an unbeliever can produce absolutely no good fruit. And a lot of people are, are stunned by that, or they they disagree with that. Even some Christians would say, well, hey, yeah, there's unbelievers who do good things, you know, charitable things. They donate money and they do these things. But, and I always am quick to say, every single one of them who is doing this, they're doing this with resources that the true God has given them while they are denying the true God. And they're doing it for their own glory, not for the glory of the God who created them and is sustaining them. and then. And the scriptures are clear that we're in rebellion. Anybody who's an unbeliever is, is actively rebelling against the true God. And so even the good things that an, un- that an unbeliever does even the good things on a human level that an unbeliever does is doing it for their own glory or for or for some other sinful purpose. They may do it to manipulate somebody. They may do it to gain something from somebody else, but they're not doing it for the glory of the true God. And not only that, they're actually actively rebelling against him, rejecting him. And they use their life to likely influence people away from the true God. So you see how even the human good things... And so so a bad tree cannot do anything, not one thing, for the glory of God. Why how could they? They deny it. They they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. You may think you have God. A lot of people think they have God. But if they don't have if it's not through Jesus Christ, they don't have the true God. It's a it's a it's a God that they've created in their, in their mind, which is an idol. So so you can, and so we are called, and you know, sometimes I'll get criticized a little bit for scrutinizing somebody's faith. And I, again, I'm not doing this because maybe it does come across as I'm trying to, you know, nitpick and see, oh, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. I'm trying to prove that you're not one. That's not my intention. It really never, it never is. It's to evaluate whether I need to evangelize them or whether I need or I want to fellowship with them and, and interact with them as a Christian. It makes a big difference. But you have to ask them, you have to, have to ask, uh, you have to narrow it down to, again, who is Jesus? Is He the one true God. You know, it's not, if somebody says, oh, I believe God, Jesus is a God, that's not saving faith. I believe Jesus is the highest created, He's not God, but He's right there next to God, He's just not, that's not saving faith. And I always tell people you have to believe that the man Jesus Christ, the man, okay. So we're not talking about some Jesus you create in your head, some spirit Jesus or something else. No. The man, the actual historical man who walked the earth, who died on a cross and all the things of his life, is actually the one true God. He's the only God. He is God, and He is. And that's that's the that's the faith that God gives you in regeneration. He He changes your heart. He, the first thing you repent of actually is your unbelief in Jesus Christ and so but what we're talking about here is you can you can judge also and if you know if you do know somebody say I, most of the engagements I have are people who I don't know and so I go more for what they believe but if you know somebody who professes to be a christian and you observe their life you can tell if it's real or not over time You know, I believe most people at our church are genuine believers. We're small, and so that's probably helpful. I think the bigger church you get, the more you have more tares amongst the wheat, but you can tell by a lifestyle of selfless love. They love the Word. They love the Lord. They love their brethren. There's all kinds of tests in the scriptures that, that are given to people to examine yourself to see if you are genuinely a true believer. Uh, but if you, but there are people who every now and then you wonder a little bit, you know, again, it's difficult because you, 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 if you have a longer range of somebody's life, you can, you can tell whether there's change, growth, and everything else, but if you snapshot anybody's life, any Christian's life, you can catch them in a kind of a down, you know, down cycle. And I always say, if, if you'd have, if some Christian would have up to me and observe my life for a day about four or five years ago now, they would have they would have bet their life I was not a Christian. And I would have bet my life I was not a Christian, but I was a Christian. So it goes to show you, you got to be careful with that because um, you can become over-scrutinizing too and think, well, because this person's sitting under a female pastor or because this person talks in tongues or because this person, you know, I'll say that there are a few people you know, I don't think there's many who are in Roman Catholic churches that are genuine believers, and they're sinfully in that church, but I think that's the exception more than the rule. But, but I've learned to, especially with those other issues, that Christians can do some, and I'm talking to myself, we can do some crazy, sinful things, and including, for whatever reason, you think it's okay to sit under a, a female pastor So I used to honestly, whenever I hear somebody tell me they went to a church with a female pastor, I would immediately in my mind say, not a Christian. Because it's a bad thing. It's a very, it's one of those things where I think if you sit in a church with a female pastor, you're going to be sitting in a liberal church because it is direct disobedience to scripture. But I've learned over time that I have, I know people who I would, I would definitely, I believe with strong conviction that they are a Christian but but, back to the point I was saying is that there there were there are I know people who are in liberal churches sitting under female pastors and I believe they're born again Now I, I think you get into a liberal church the higher percentage is going to be people who are moralistic that is to say they think that they are Right with God because of they're a good person right. or that they do a little bit more good than bad. Yeah, I have one friend that at work who is a female pastor. But I, I it's not a place you want to be, but again, I, I've and learned. I, I do wish he's a Christian. Yeah. But you're going to be struggling to grow yeah. in, a, in a church that is run by a person who, I mean, it's just clear as day. And so you're going to lower, you, you have to have a pretty low view of Scripture and its authority and its inerrancy in order to come up yeah, to that still, conclusion. You know, I know <laughs> that and I feel that and I understand that. but there's that one little part of my brain that ah. Yeah. No, it's hard. We actually, I do have a lesson made up. I have, we never have done it, I don't think, on le- leadership. Limits on leadership is what I called it. And Again, it's not saying that, that you are less equal or that we're in Christ or in general. Any if I male know. is worth more or more valuable or, or whatever, higher equality than a woman. But there are roles specifically, specifically given, not only for the church, but also in the home. You know, we're given the leadership, but we are to be selflessly loving and everything else. So And those are Claire's day. You just have to you can't take the Bible literally and deny that. Blow your nose. That's why I brought that there. He's okay. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. I know. It's a problem, but... He's have a okay. Yeah, it's probably just all jammed up. Um. Yeah, you might want to go through that allergy. Aller, what do you call this? I've been to the EMT yesterday. Okay. What'd they say? Oh, uh, They're going to be the ones to do that. They're going to take the extra air, CT. He's on an allergy mess. Yeah, happen. I've noticed over the past couple of months it's been jammed yeah. up, perpetually jammed up. That's miserable too, I know. See, so I would use that efferent and that would solve it, but you can't use that more in a couple of days. Yeah. And so the the issue of Lordship Salvation, which is what we'll get to in the worksheet now, is, all right, well, we'll just get into the worksheet. Sometimes I I write these things. I have written these things a year ago, and I I honestly haven't read these. I do a lot of this interaction with Twitter and things. But I'll be honest, I I can, my brain works in a different way than I used to I can I focus on something deeply learn it saturate it my mind and then I can move on to the next thing and a lot of times I'll have to remind myself what I learned 2 days ago and I'm like man it's called getting old I know and I'm not used to that so I do have to re- I'll have to listen to my own podcast yeah. to remind myself of what I believe uh-huh. I mean not the important things that's that's why mainly I stay in the important uh, doctrines, because those are the ones I don't want to struggle with. All right. So I, I, this this teaching worksheet is called misapplying lordship salvation. So first, we're going to have to explain what lordship salvation is before, before we can before I can explain to you what misapplying that means or how to use that. Okay. The idea of lordship salvation was introduced as a reaction against the idea that you can accept Jesus as savior but not as Lord this being seen as a way to defend professing believers who bore zero spiritual fruit. So this is why we're dealing with this now. We're talking about, you know, Jesus says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And so that's one of the scriptures that clearly say that you cannot be a Christian and bear no fruit. But there are people out there who who will say that somebody can make a profession, a legitimate profession of faith, and there's nothing, there's no change in their life that that's possible that you're saved by grace through faith, and so that's all there is. And so they just say, hey, if somebody believes they made a profession of faith, but they, there's no transformation in their life, that they're, they're what are called carnal Christians. And so there's people who defend that position. And again, we just read a verse, and there's, there's so many that you lose track of, that clearly teach that salvation is not of works, but saving faith will always, always, 100% of the time, produce works or produce fruit, whichever you want to call it. And so Lordship Salvation is certainly biblical, with many texts proclaiming that faith without works is not saving faith. James 2.14. We'll, I'll read a couple of these. James 2.14 is the... Uh, James two fourteen. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Question mark. And that is the answer is given later on, where it says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. All right. Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, this firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and every and everyone who calls, who names the name of the Lord, is to abstain from wickedness. And so there's a clear command to anyone who names the name of the Lord, you're to abstain from wickedness. Um, in Ephesians 2.10, um, this is a good verse too. This is one of the better verses to explain the whole chain there that we're talking about. (coughs) I'll just read uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. A lot of people know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, so you're saved by faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it says right there, you're saved by grace through faith, and works has nothing to do with it. But then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So you see there the backside of salvation, you always have good works. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not created in Christ Jesus by good works, but you will always produce good works because God's ordained them. He saves people. He transforms them, and then he, he, he causes them to do works that he has ordained for the creation of the world. And so you see that there. He prepared beforehand. Beforehand when? He prepared that before he created the world. So the good works that you do as a Christian, he has, he has ordained that as part of his eternal decree. So it's planned. And so you see there where it says you, you're created in Christ Jesus, well, some of you are created for works, good works, and some of you are not. Some of you, you know, just accept Him as Savior and not as Lord, and there's no good works, no good fruit. It's clear there that everybody who gets saved will will produce works, because He's ordained those. He has is, he is pre, pre, predetermined those to happen, and He brings about the good works. Alright, the point being that saving faith always bears fruit, sanctifying evidence, but is never the grounds for salvation. So do you see that that's the, just really important to understand that 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 works will never works or fruit will n- never save anybody. They'll never save anybody. But saving faith, humble saving faith in Christ, which is the opposite of works, <coughs> produces salvation, which produces works on the back end. After you're saved, you will always have works, and some people call them necessary works. I don't like that word because it makes it sound like the works are necessary for salvation. And they're not, because you don't want to put them on the front. It's the whole formula. Faith in Christ equals salvation plus works. You always have the plus works after salvation. You're, you're, you you're have been declared righteous before God before you produce one work. You already have your eternal destination sealed. You'll be indwelled and sealed by the Spirit before you do one good work. But then you will do one good, you'll do many good works. But you see that it's not the grounds for salvation, it's the evidence of it. Big difference. Makes all the difference in the world. But you can't say, but we're dealing with the other end of it. Usually the end we're dealing with is trying to convince people, you know, repentance is the actual opposite of, of works. It is humbling yourself and saying you have no good works. We're dealing with lordship salvation saying you have to have, you always, saving faith will always produce good works. And somebody who has, somebody says to you, comes up to you and says they have genuine saving faith in Christ, that was covering the light. Oh, it's in the sink. says that they have genuine saving faith in Christ, but they have no good, they have no works to, to prove that, okay, to prove it, not to, I mean, the piece of then that, that's not saving faith. So you evaluate the faith by the works, but the works don't have anything to do with salvation. So we get the point there, right? You got the point. You got the point. All right, so no one is ever genuinely saved to only remain totally carnal. So we talk about, is is there such thing as a carnal Christian? Not a totally carnal Christian. And that's the point that people try to make, is that you can be saved and you can have absolutely, you can just be worldly in the flesh, you don't struggle against sin, and you're just a carnal Christian. There's no such thing as that. Now there are such there there is a biblical evidence there's a case when, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians where he says they are fleshly, they are worldly, and that's the reason that they're not growing. And so certainly we struggle with worldliness, we struggle with these things. But there's nobody who is absolutely, who's ever converted, who's totally carnal, totally worldly, totally no battle against sin. There's not a there's not that's not a possibility. There's no possibility that somebody could be a Christian. And then they're not at least struggling against sin to some degree. Now, again, you can get back you can get dark and, and bitter and angry with God. And you can go to some dark places as a Christian. I testify to that. But even then, you know, I, I still hadn't I had no pleasure in the sin. It was just making me more miserable. Where before I was saved, you know, I could bury myself in all kinds of sin. And it would give me at least temporary joy. And I didn't I wasn't trying to come out of it. I was just going to move on to the next idol. All right, so when you're made alive, Ephesians 2.5, or transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his beloved son, Colossians 1.13, there will be a noticeable difference in your life to one degree or another. So the argument one can be converted and bear no fruit is foreign to Scripture. It's just not taught. And so, and that's, so I agree with the, the concept of lordship salvation. That is to say that, that you're you dealing with somebody who professes to be a Christian but they have no fruit. And then I think the the idea of addressing the scriptures, having the scriptures that we just read, a couple of them, they say that's biblically impossible. All right. Having said that, I think most of the controversy over lordship salvation roots in the misapplication of it. When its proper use of challenging a fruitless profession jumps to a method of evangelizing unbelievers... You can inadvertently create several biblical issues equally as dangerous. Okay, so this is kind of an issue that I've run across several times where I'm almost like in between, especially like on Twitter and social media where I follow a lot of... uh, You know, it's usually a difference between Calvinists and people who don't believe that viewpoint. And so they'll go back and forth on, on... the one will challenge lordship salvation like we just did there, where I think it's I think it's helpful to say, all right, you cannot have somebody who's a believer and have no fruit. But on the other end of it, you you even MacArthur I think is guilty of this, where you can make it sound like salvation is an ongoing process. Um, well, well, I'll just keep reading along here. All right, the biggest problem to me is so we're okay. So what we're dealing with here is is we just we just lordship salvation what we just talked about, where the idea that you cannot be a Christian without having some fruit. The, the Bible says that you okay, any fruit. No, no, no sanctifying evidence of your salvation. Just what we, This is what we read in Luke 6 where he says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. There's, there's a clear verse that says a Christian cannot bear continuously bad fruit. And so there's a test there. But we're testing people with that application who claim to be a Christian. And this is where I think the, the, the issue of lordship, salvation, goes, goes wrong in a lot of ways, is that if you turn that into uh, when you're addressing somebody who does not profess to be a Christian. Okay, they, they're, not, they're not saying, I'm a Christian, and then they're bearing no fruit. We're talking about the people who say, no, I don't believe in Christ, and you're evangelizing them. There are people who, and even MacArthur can make it sound like, that it's not enough to believe in Christ, you have, to, you have to submit to him as Lord to be saved. That it's not just... And I mean, my answer to that, and I remember when I first heard him say that, I was like, ooh, boy, that sounds like you're, you're, you're saved by your degree of submission to, to Jesus. Which, okay, if that's the case, who is there anybody out there who's got perfect submission to Jesus Christ, no matter who they are, including John MacArthur? The answer is no, not even close. You know, so we are we are called as Christians to submit to Him as Lord, right? I mean, He says, and we'll get to the verse maybe next week where He says, "You you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say." So we are. He clearly commands us to do that, but He's addressing believers there. If you if you make it sound like to an unbeliever, okay, in order to be saved, you have to submit to Him as Lord. Well the answer is well how much do you have to submit to him as Lord? What's that got to do with the bearing fruit? What? What does that the submission to the Lord have to do with um, bearing bearing fruit? It doesn't. Okay. So so this is what i this is the issue. I'm, I'm kinda of switching gears here now. Okay. We are changing from addressing which I think is a, a legitimate um, Lordship's Should have Lord lords, him. yes, oh, okay. and so, and this is just kind of a thing that is, in. yeah. Well, I'll keep reading a little bit and it'll kind of explain this. I'm sorry. But I, again, I've got to remind myself of what I believe as I read along. All right, the biggest problem to me in stressing Lordship to unbelievers is it can make it sound, it can make it seem the grounds of your justification before God is the degree of your submission to Jesus as Lord. So see, I just said it. I, I really I remember what I believe without even looking. All right, which is not, nor ever will be, in this life, even close to the perfect standard required. The perfect, the permanent grounds for just for the justification of any believer is the imputed righteousness of Christ that is given at the moment, or I would even say second, or millisecond of salvation. You are not saved by submission to Christ you're not saved by submission to Christ. You're submit, you are saved immediately. And this is my point that always, anybody I, I'm dealing with with this Lordship issue is I, I say, okay, do you, is salvation at a point in time? A single boom, you're saved. Or is it an ongoing process? And of course, anybody who's born again will say it's at a point, it's at a point in time. You're saved right when you have faith, right when God grants you regeneration and you believe genuinely in your heart that Jesus Christ is God, and you trust in His work, and you you believe the gospel, whatever second that is, is the point where you are declared righteous. You are covered by His righteousness, and all of your sins were paid for by Jesus at the cross. And so you're immediately declared righteous, okay? And so you see the point I'm making here is that if you say that you're not saved... You're, that you have to submit to Christ as Lord, and you and you tie that into salvation. At best, it makes it sound like that salvation is an ongoing process, or or that you can actually have genuine faith in Christ, but you just haven't submitted to Him as Lord. Because I'll be honest, what does lordship mean? It means that He is your He. Okay that he, he rules what you, he rules your life. He's your Lord, and so you, you do your best to obey Him through His Word. So you're striving to obey Him. You're submitting to Him, which of course he, we do that through His Word. We hear something in the Word of God that convicts us that, well, okay, we're not, I'm not doing that. Well, I obey. I, I strive by the grace and power of God to obey the Word of God. That's, at my, that's the Christian's way of submitting to the Lord. Is through His Word. Does that make sense? So the Lordship, the Lordship aspect of it is, is, is obedience after you're saved. That He's our Lord after you're saved. Yes, you can't be saved by your own works, but you, once you humble yourself and confess and become a converted person, the Spirit of God within you will begin the process of having you submit to God, submit to Christ. That's but that, that takes time. I mean, you, you know, when you're first saved, you've got very few, if anything, because you might not even know what the Bible commands you to do, other than, hey, I believe Jesus is God. That's kind of where I was when I got saved. I'm like, hey, here's what I do know. I really do believe now that Jesus Christ is God, where before I did not. That's about all I knew, and that's all about all I was telling people. I was so revved up. I had absolutely no doctrine, no anything, and I probably shouldn't have been talking a whole lot, but I was so excited about the new life. I was just like, hey, Jesus is real. That's all I say. Hey, whatever. He's real. He's really real, you know, but, I didn't know anything about the commands, but I was saved. I was declared righteous, and I had not at that sense really submitted to him in a sense. It took some time for him to kind of begin to work in my life to him like, okay, I understand I got some cleaning up to do here, but I didn't really, it wasn't something… You had to say, like you were a dictionary, lordship, how would you say it? Um, I mean, it just, it means… That he, that Jesus Christ, lordship, salvation is that that he, that a, a converted person will submit to Christ, submission to His will through the Word. But again, that happened. That was only possible to submit to Christ after you've been converted. You don't want to sound like you don't want to make it sound like to an unbeliever that you have to submit to Christ and obey His commandments in order to be saved. What is that? That's work, work, that's work salvation. And so you just have to be careful with this Lordship issue, because again, I, you know, I've heard, and you know, I still hear, and this is one of those things that I really genuinely struggle with, is that people say that you can really believe that Jesus Christ is God and, and be lost because you have not submitted your life to Him. And I'm going, whoa, hmm, I don't think that's possible. I think when the Spirit regenerates, I don't think anybody can really believe in their heart truly believe that Jesus Christ, the man, is also God, without being regenerated. I think if you really believe that in your heart, you're regenerated. Now, but the, what complicates things, and what brings up Lordship issue, and all of these, these tests and things, is because there's a lot of people out there who profess to believe that Jesus Christ is God, and they do not believe that. They're either lying, or they've, they've created a Christ in their mind, that's not the Biblical true Christ, and they genuinely believe in some false Christ. And so it complicates the issue, but again, I don't I don't ever take... I, I, I don't think you can change the... you don't want to change theology based upon the abuse of, you know, or people being di- uh, dishonest about their faith in Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Alright, we'll work, we'll work through it a little bit and we'll see if it helps, because it is a complicated issue. And this is something that we really haven't talked about much. But do you understand what I'm saying here? So so you're not saved by submission to Christ. But authentic saving faith will always produce submission. So you see, we're kind of dealing with the same issue there. You're not saved by submitting to Christ and obeying Him. You're not saved by that. I'm sorry. Nobody is. Otherwise, you'd have to be perfectly submissive and obedient to Christ. But you see how on the other end of salvation, if you are genuinely converted, after you get converted... Then you will begin to submit. Always to a certain degree. It's kind of like what we're talking about. You'll always bear fruit. You'll always have works, but they'll be imperfect and they'll they'll be progressive and they'll take time. Where salvation is point in time, genuine saving faith in Christ. Your 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 destiny has been forever changed from judgment to life, from heaven, I mean from hell to heaven. So you see how this ties into what we're talking about? But if you put submission as a pre-salvific condition, submission, then it can sound at least like the like your grounds for being saved is your submission. Does that make sense? So you don't. I don't walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, you need to obey Christ. You need to submit to Christ." I just say, "You need to. You need to confess that you've never submitted to God. You never obeyed God, and that you you are in trouble." I, that's, I'm trying to get them the opposite way. I want them to realize how hopeless they are. I don't want to get them to try and think to themselves, well, you know, I need to start submitting to Christ and His, and his commands in Scripture if I want to be saved, because you can't be saved that way. The second problem lordship can cause, if used in evangelizing unbelievers, is it can make it sound as if salvation is an ongoing process, submitting your entire life to Christ, instead of occurring at a point in time, like we've been talking about, repentance and faith. Saving faith. Saving penitent faith is at a point in time, but submitting submitting to Christ, which, we w- which any converted person will do after they're saved, is the same thing as sanctification. It, it begins, and you begin very immature, and you grow in Christ. You submit more and more of your life to Christ. And he'll he'll point out an area in your life by the Spirit within you that you're not obeying him, that you're you're running things your own way, and he'll correct that. But that is an ongoing process that will never end until you're glorified. And so you cannot confuse to me, submission to Christ is sanctification. And if you make if you tell somebody up front, well it's not enough to believe in Christ intellectually or you know, but you have to submit to him as Lord, and then MacArthur will say that frequently. And every single time, I cringe a little bit um, because I, you can't, you, and I know what he's trying to do. I know he doesn't believe that you're saved by obeying Christ, but it can sound that way. And I want I want unbelievers to be uh, I want it to be as clear as possible when you're addressing an unbeliever what their issue is. You don't want to ever make it sound like they need to do something obediently to the Scriptures. To be saved because that's a hopeless cause. All right, saving faith is granted by God at a point in time and that eternally settles that person's salvation. As we've noted, nobody's submission to Christ will ever be good enough this side of glory to meet God's standard, but also submission is a continuing, increasing part of a Christian's life. It progresses as spiritual maturity increases. But again, salvation is at a point in time not ongoing. The faith granted at salvation is ongoing, but your justification is passed and settled. Okay, I want to clarify that real quick, That, that saving faith, when God grants you saving faith at a point in time, what I'm not saying is that he can grant you that saving faith at a point in time, and then a month down the road, you don't believe anymore. That's not saving faith. He grants it to you, boom, and your entire destination is sailed. When God regenerates you, and you have saving faith in Christ for one second, or less than one second, you are saved, okay? But that will continue, the faith will continue, or you didn't have it in the beginning. Does that make sense? That God creates spirit-caused faith within you, but He also sustains spirit-caused faith within a true believer. And so another issue that people deal with with Lordship is that they'll have people who said, well, yeah, I made a profession of faith two years ago, but I don't believe in Jesus anymore, I deny the faith. And some people actually say, well, if, you're, if your profession of faith two years ago was g- genuine, you're saved by faith, well, then you're, you're okay. That's not true. That's not biblical. Saving faith is persevering faith, because God preserves you. And so, if, somebody's, if somebody has faith for a day or a month, they say they have faith, but then they walk away from the faith, and they deny Christ, and they deny the Christian faith, that person's not saved. You see what I'm saying? That that saving faith is is ongoing faith. We're talking about the faith here, and so I just want to clarify that that you cannot have a profession of faith that you deny a year or ten years later. You say, "Nah, I don't believe Jesus is God. That whole thing was just a." That's not that's not saving faith. Saving faith is God granted, God sustaining, and he, you will persevere no matter what happens to you. Because why? Because it's not because you are stronger than the next person or because you can gin it up within your own human will is because God is doing it through you and even in the worst times you won't deny him and that's one thing I, I remember when I was as dark as black could be as a Christian in a backslide where I was just living wickedly I remember there was a day I was so mad at God because I was just so confused I mean I'm I'm not I mean I was I was horrifically wicked but I remember saying, all right I'm gonna I'm going to stop believing in Jesus Christ. I am going to stop believing. And I literally, for a whole day while I was mowing, I tried so hard to not believe that he was God. I mean, I was, this is what I did the whole day. And I couldn't do it. I just, it was making me mad. Because I was so mad. At, I, of course, looking back, that's God's grace, you know, that he keeps his sheep. But it really it was helpful after I got out of that darkness to say, wow, saving faith he, you can try if you want to not believe if you're genuinely converted, but it's not possible because it's spirit-caused. Now, I'm not saying you can't. You know, Peter is a perfect example, denies him three times, you know, and, and he but he, he denied him externally within him. He he knew he was. He believed him. He knew he knew him. He believed he was the Messiah. He believed he was God. But he was scared and he freaked out and he was fleshly. And guess what happened? He denied him. But then he went and wept about it. So you see the ongoing, the, the, but, the, but my point here is that when God grants saving faith at a point in time, when I believed, when I was trimming, 2006, that very second, I was absolutely totally forgiven and totally covered by Christ for the rest of my life. And that, that was addressed there. But the faith continues and continues and will continue. So nobody who has, who's elect, who's regenerated will ever totally deny and walk away from the faith. Now, can you say the words, I, don't, I hate you know, or something out of just utter bitterness? Yeah, you can, you can. Um, but you'll immediately either repent and mourn or God will get a hold of you and yank you pretty good. But he doesn't lose anybody, and it's a comforting thing. I don't know how you could live yeah. to think that I could wake up tomorrow morning and not believe in Christ and be on my way to hell again. I mean, How could you yeah. have any hope in that? Alright, so I made that point. If you refuse to submit in any fashion, you have not repented into, into salvation, which we've talked about. Repentance is the inward mourning of the heart over your sin going from the love of sin to the hatred of sin. And if you hate it, you will begin to turn from it, okay? So, that there's, I, I would correlate submitting to turning from sin externally. But again, this has to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit that already indwells you at conversion. So, like we talked about, you won't do one righteous thing with a proper motive to honor Christ with what you're doing Externally, until after you've been converted. All right, one final potential problem in misapplying Lordship salvation is you can make obedience to God's law sound like a pre conversion qualification. All right, I'm gonna have to read through this with us so so I can remember what I believe. (laughs) A quick discussion of what repentance is will be helpful here. There's no doubt the gospel includes repentance. Jesus said so, Luke 24, 47. Paul said so, Acts 26, 20. And Peter said so, 2 Peter 3, 9. As noted, when repentance is granted, 2 Timothy 2, 25, by the Lord, it is the inward brokenness or mourning over one's sin. It's a hard issue. It's an inward issue. A good demonstration of this is the tax collector in Luke 18, 13. The behavior change, or actual, we remember when we did the repentance thing, or the actual turning from sin is the fruit of repentance. Repentance is not works righteousness. That is, it does not involve a stopping or even a slowing down of sinning. That may catch you off guard, especially coming from a five point Calvinist who abhors easy believism. I think we read some of this. I think I must have copy pasted this. But let's say a habitual thief walked up to me and asked me what he needed to do to be saved. I couldn't tell him, believe in Jesus and stop stealing. That would be salvation by faith plus works. Uh, and that would be obedience to commandment number eight. You could use that example with any violation of God's law. Again, we cannot confuse repentance with the fruit of repentance. Matthew three eight. therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In Acts 26.20, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So repentance is not the external behavior change, but the internal hatred of sin that always causes the behavior change. Big difference. Yeah, we just did that a week or two ago, so that should be pretty fresh. I must have copy pasted that because that sounded exactly like what I wrote. It yeah, it sounded real familiar. If you do not clarify the distinction between the two in evangelism, as often can be the case with lordship evangelists, you can make obedience to the law sound like a pre salvific condition. Um, many will say Jesus used lordship evangelism by citing texts such as. Luke 14, 25 through 33. All right, now we're going to take a look at this text. Um, All right, this is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, and I'll just read through this. Now, large crowds were gathering along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, now, of course, we know that he's not telling us to hate our parents and hate our wife and hate our children. He's saying, by comparison, the love that we have for Christ makes makes what we how we love our wife and our parents look like hate. That our love for the Lord needs to be far superior to the love for anybody else, or you're not worthy to be his disciple Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. All right, a couple of quick points. First notice, Jesus was addressing people already following him, verse 25. So, he is, so, these large crowds were going along with him. So, these are already people who were following him. And then, of course, he turned to them, so they were already there following him. They were professing, okay, yet not converted. They wanted more food and free medical care. This goes back to the proper use of Lordship salvation, challenging a fruitless claim to follow Christ. Okay, so he's addressing people who are are following him, and and he's challenging why they're there. So he's not going up to. You know, we're not addressing people who are not even involved with Christ at all. We're we're addressing people who are already following him, but they're following him for the wrong purposes, and so they they think that they're followers of Christ, but their their motives are wrong, and it's not a humble, broken repent, uh, repentance over their sin. They just want what he can provide. And so that's what he's challenging here. This is not evangelism to professing unbelievers. Um, so he's challenging a fruitless... So again, okay. second, the count the cost attitude of verse 28 is the result of repentance, the inward hatred of sin God grants. If one has been exposed to their hopeless, sinful condition, and positioned before a holy God, they will be willing to do anything to be saved. But again, the submission and obedience that follows is not the grounds of their salvation, Christ's work is, but the fruit of a changed heart." So, do you see what I'm saying here is that, in order for you to have the attitude, where where you, you, it doesn't, and so he's talking about where if you're trying to build a tower, you first figure out whether, you you know, if you have enough to complete it, and you evaluate whether it's worth it or not. The same thing with the, with the battle there, You before you go to war with somebody, you figure out, well, is this worth what I'm doing here? Do I have enough people to, to survive this issue? And it's the same thing when it comes to sin and salvation, is that when God grants you repentance, there's absolutely nothing that you will not forsake to follow Christ. Because you've been converted, because you've been regenerated. And so, if you've been granted repentance, then it doesn't matter if Christ walked, you know, if if you became convinced that, that God wanted you to sell everything you have, and you really were convinced that you would sell everything you have. Again, that's not the point here. He's not saying that you have to sell all your possessions in order to be saved, but the attitude is, everything's yours. It's all yours. You own everything I have. Um, and, but you see how that is that is the fruit of a heart that has been humbled if you don't have that humbled heart, if you don't have that converted heart you, you, you may follow him for a while, but again you see these people are not following him because they're broken over their sin, they're just wanting more food, and so he turns around and challenges them, he says okay you want to follow me, here's what it looks like to follow me and, he, and of course what happens after he does this message he's he's right back down to where he was with 12 confused disciples because they're like going good grief you know how, is anybody going to be saved and 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 so the they were following him for the food and for the medical care but when the message came out of what it meant to follow him without a, a converted heart you will not follow him anymore but the point we're dealing with here is that is that this is he's exposing a false conversion, he's ex, he's exposing false disciples, he's not professing or he's not preaching directly to people who are not following him already. So I think that's the same thing with the lordship salvation. All right, so I pray this has been helpful as um, as I have heard valid arguments on both sides of the lordship salvation debate. Again, the proper application of lordship. Is towards professing believers. There's the big the turning point. This is what Jesus is addressing in Luke 14 is professing or people who are externally following Him. Same thing with people in church. You know, if somebody goes to church, as a member of church, they've been baptized, but they have no fruit, you apply lordship to them. You say, okay, the Bible says this is gonna be your fruit if you are genuinely converted. But you're talking to somebody who says, I am a Christian, I'm a member of a church, I've been baptized. But if you're going up to somebody who says, "No, I don't believe in Christ. I don't. I don't go to church. I, you know, you don't. You don't address them the same way you address somebody. You would address somebody who is professing faith. You you wouldn't need to. You want to do the opposite on that. All right. Again, um, uh, the proper application of lordship is addressing professing believers who have no fruit, not evangelizing unbelievers. And you certainly don't want to base your right standing before God on your submission to Christ, and that's the thing you can't, you can't do it because then, and I and even John MacArthur who has said in not so many ways that that's what at least that's what it sounds like to me that you can believe in Him but you have to submit to Him as Lord. He has to become Lord of your life before you're converted. That how I mean how how. Perfectly, do you have to do that before you become right? And that's again very problematic in my mind. All right, but on Christ's perfect submission during His life. So, so we're not basing our right standing on our submission to Christ, although we submit to Christ. But we've already been converted. But we do it because we love Him and we thank Him and we know that His ways are the right ways. And then if we, and also we know that if we don't do it His way, He'll chasten us and He'll pull us back around. But our standing before God is based completely upon Jesus Christ's perfect submission to the Father. That's the imputed righteousness that we receive when God regenerated us. Is that Christ submitted perfectly? We don't, but we. But again, we we do, we attempt just like we attempt to obey, not to be saved, but because we're saved and we want to be blessed and we want to be a blessing to other people. We know God's ways are the right ways now. on and on. You have to believe, not submit to be saved. But those who believe by God's sovereign power will always submit. So submission is fruit, not the root of salvation. And so that's why we tied this to what we did in Luke 6 where that's just a real clear indication where Jesus makes the point that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And so if you've been converted, you will have fruit, but again, you gotta put the fruit, you gotta put the works, you gotta put the submission on post-salvation, not pre, otherwise you have works, works-based salvation. I got that. Alright, so I know we got a little more complicated there than we intended. And then next week we'll pick it back up and loop. Luke. We're making our way, slowly but surely. <laughs>